I came from a low-income family that was that was struggling. You see how hard life can get. GCE became a part of my life because I don't want my family to fall back into that. I never thought education would take me this far. I'm still young. I still have a lot to do in my life and just want to get things done the way I want with a good education under me. I'm Stacy, and Grand Canyon University helped me find my purpose. If the Empire has this kind of power, what chance do we have? We're here at the uh, press junket for Rogue One. Uh, with me, I have uh, Chris Taylor, whose uh, voice you should be overly familiar with. Chris, hello. <laughs> hello, everyone. Um, so we, uh, we've been through some things. We almost got lost on the way to Skywalker Ranch. <laughs> it was pretty wild, the fact that, yeah, we were on a shuttle to Skywalker Ranch, and the shuttle driver didn't know where we were going. We had to turn around on one of those winding roads out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the dark... Uh, it was terrifying a little bit for a second there. It was one of those Star Wars moments where you want to say, actually, turn on your computer. Yeah. <laughs> you need the navigation. Yeah, the driver t- turned off his targeting computer completely. Um, and, and then there's a bus full of press and mommy bloggers who are all, like, all of a sudden navigators with their, with their Google phones. But we finally made it to the, to the ranch, and we saw, we saw 28 minutes of Rogue One. I, I'm still pinching myself that that actually happened. I mean, after The Force Awakens... You know, the expectation was that we were not going to see anything. We also knew that other press uh, in limited quantities around the world had seen exactly what we saw um, on that occasion last night. So, yeah, it was wild. And, and, wow, what a a movie. What a different movie. Um, Yeah, yeah. the, um, The thing I left feeling that footage was that, and we're going to keep this spoiler free, um... Is that it's a it's a war movie flat out? It's a war movie. I felt like uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna reference movies um, that you want to watch to lead into it, aside from obviously, I think Revenge of the Sith and New Hope. I think uh, the Dirty Dozen and uh, maybe Bridge on the River Kwai and Guns of Navarone. Mm. Um, you know, I keep thinking of uh, Jack Hawkins from Bridge on the River Kwai as the the general uh, uh, the, the general character in the briefings. Mm, mm-hmm. Which we get to pretty quickly. Not really a spoiler to say that. Um, but yeah, the the number of, of planets and locations that we whip through uh, in those first, what, 10, 15 minutes? Mm-hmm. Very surprising that, that we went that fast. Um, I don't think it's really a spoiler to say that we open with the, the flashback. That's been sort of pretty well I think I want to say that it's not so much a flashback, but a prologue. Right. Yeah, that's, and that's the other thing. It's not, you know... I mean, I guess that there's an argument to be made once everyone's seen it. We can talk about this in more detail. There's an argument to be made that it is taking place as a flashback. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it's not, it doesn't really feel non-Star Wars-ish in, in the sense of sudden, you know, Lost-style flashback. Yeah, yeah, and it, it uh, you know, there was other touches of things too. Like there was there was Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. There was uh, I, I would tell people like you have to have to have to watch the Onderon arc from Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and you have to watch or you have to read Catalyst. You don't have to read Catalyst, but you should. And Definitely it's going to make that opening sequence a lot more make a lot more sense and be invested with a lot more emotional depth. How did you feel about Michael Giacchino's music? I think it it carried it. He he's in a no win situation mm. where he's the first composer doing a live action Star Wars movie that's not John Williams. I think he did pretty admirably. I think uh, some of the some of the familiar notes people are going to expect mm. maybe aren't there or reformulated in ways they might not expect. And I think maybe he'll he'll take some grief for it one way or the other. But I think he performed <laughs> admirably. It's yeah. I mean, you know, one of the the first thing you got to ask about movie music is that it does no harm, right? I mean, I, you know, Interstellar, I think, is the classic example where I think the music got in the way. Um, and that was unfortunate. But but this, it doesn't get in the way. 
Uh, it's clearly not John Williams. It's not trying to be John Williams. It's not a pastiche. It is its own thing. And it's going to take, you know, like with any Star Wars movie, any aspect of this is going to take multiple rewatchings to to really digest it. But um, but yeah, it was it was certainly inoffensive on first listen, and uh, you know, I think it, it matched the mood of the piece pretty well. I'm uh, I think I'm most sort of shocked by the fact that. Uh well, I'm not shocked. I'm upset by the fact we couldn't just watch the whole thing. I think it's it's cruel. I mean, you, everyone out there listening, um, you have it better than we do because now you don't have this 28 minutes of this movie that you're dying to see rolling around in your head. And we have so many more questions that we want to ask, and, and you're not going to have to wait through that for the next week like we are. Yeah, yeah, and and so many so many callbacks to digest. I mean, I, I am glad that they showed it to us because uh, the uh, the um, the fact that you, I mean, I would love to have seen the first fifteen minutes of Force Awakens beforehand, not just because you know you want to see as much Star Wars as you can, but also because it's so there is always so much to digest that seeing it once just makes it that little bit easier. So I'm glad they 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 took that tactic, and I'm. My appetite is, is certainly whetted. So then we, um, after the screening, I mean, uh, we should mention the screening was at Skywalker Sound, and it was in the theater at Skywalker Sound, and flanking each side of the screen were statues from Palpatine's office in Revenge of the Sith. And uh, oh, we, should, we should say on, on the, going back to the musical score and just the, the sound and the environment and the setting, that opening note, once we, you know, we have long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then bang. I mean, I jumped out of my seat at that point. It was striking. Yeah. It was striking. Um, yeah. And Gareth Edwards had some words to say. I'm still, like, I wrote some notes about what he wanted, what he said. But he it said was, he wanted to show us the whole film. He did. He also said he wanted uh, three volunteers to help him steal one of the Death Stars from the archives. <laughs> um, and we, we actually, we got to meet Gareth after the... Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. After the screening, and I, he told a story. I asked him a question, and I don't want to tell that until after we've seen the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was very, very personal, very, very friendly, very available, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing him later today, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's a lovely guy, and, and the, his enthusiasm for Star Wars bubbles over. He's a kid in a candy store. Yeah, that's very much that's very much the case. So today, we're actually as we're recording this, we should kind of mention like we are sitting in the. Uh, in the campus, uh, the the Lucasfilm campus at the Presidio, uh, we're in between the buildings of ILM. Uh, we've been hanging out here all day for the press conference, mm-hmm. and uh, you Steps know, from the Yoda statue. Yeah, yeah. So, and people have been walking by. So, in case you've heard any of that, we had Jimmy Mack from Rebel Force Radio just walked by and said hello. And um, so we had uh, we went we went to the press conference this morning, and so. Uh, what uh, what do you think people need to know to, to tee that one up? The, the first one was uh, uh, hosted by Andy Gutierrez, who hosts mm-hmm. the Star Wars show, and it was Gareth and Kathleen Kennedy, yes. and it was... Um, who was in that first one? Diego. Diego was there. Uh, the, the surprise was John Knoll. He yeah. was, he was not listed on our program. Uh, but, yeah, the first set was Diego, Alan... Uh, Donnie Yen. Donnie Yen. Um, and jo- that was it. Yeah. And, and we should ma- mention that, that they were dressed fabulously. I think Diego won the uh, the Suit of the Day award. I don't know. I think Ben Mendelsohn might. Ben Mendelsohn was very well dressed. But yeah, nifty coat. So, so here's the first part, and you'll hear me ask a question about a third of the way through it, and uh, then we'll, we'll come back for the second. And it's going to be super fun, so I want to welcome you all to Lucasfilm. Uh, my name is Andy Gutierrez. I am from StarWars.com. I'm the host of uh, the Star Wars show, and... Lucky enough to be up here and joining this conversation with you guys. Um, so, without further ado, we are going to get started here. Um, we're going to welcome up the cast and crew of Rogue One. <laughs> All right, so we are currently being joined by Miss Kathy Kennedy, Sarah uh, Edwards, Diego Luna, Alex Davis, Johnny Yen, and John Knoll. So I think to kick things off, Gareth, I'm going to pick on you first because you're easy to pick on. 
Not fair. The axes, they're really good in front of the camera. I'm not used to this. So we've talked quite a bit about how you've been a Star Wars fan pretty much your whole life. So the lead up to Rogue One has been a pretty long road. Now that people are seeing the movie and you're getting feedback, how do you feel? Um, it's strange. Obviously, it's it's it's. This is a very strange period in making a film. This this little moment here, because for for about two and a half years, you're really busy making it, and your head's down, and you can't really think about anything else. And now we finished the movie, but we haven't released it. I feel like we're a little bit pregnant, and we, you know, the due date is we're just <laughs> ready to give birth and like share it with the world. It's it's um. My water broke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's it's um, it's it's kind of frustrating in a weird way to not be able to just show you all the movie now because uh, the cast got to see it for the first time two days ago, and uh, well, let them speak about it, but it it went down very well, I think. Well, I think we'll open it up to to the audience now. Um, Got some questions? Um, yeah. I'm James from Brazil. Uh, uh, my question is for Kathleen Kennedy. Hi, James from Brazil. Uh, my question is for Kathleen Kennedy. You already uh, gave an interview saying there won't be a sequel for this story, Rogue Two. Uh, I'd like to know if uh, are you can we expect to see one of these characters? It's devastating to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know that yet. <laughs> That's a conversation we haven't had. Okay. <laughs> now, you know, when we we came up with this idea to do the standalone movies, um, what's liberating in many ways is the notion that we can come up with these stories inside the Star Wars universe that really have a beginning, middle, and an end. And they stand truly on their own. Yeah, and uh, this does. I just want to finish. <laughs> uh, can we expect to see one of these characters in uh, other Star Wars movies? <laughs> Doubtful. <laughs> a lot of tears. A lot of tears. Is for Garrett and Garrett. Uh, I was wondering what was the the most interesting thing for you uh, in relation to the fight between the Empire and the Rebels, because it seems that this version is like greedier. You're trying to just like talk about like modern issues. I don't know how was for you to just like try to add something more complex, maybe to the mythology. Yeah, I mean, when we started this whole process, it was one of the things Kathy would, you know be asking the whole time is, okay, how is this going to be different? It needs to, we need to differentiate ourselves from the saga. And so it's like, okay, when we start playing around and, and experimenting, one of the things we did was we took real war photography, like uh, photographs from Vietnam and World War II and the Gulf and stuff like this, and we used this bit of software that John wrote called Photoshop and, and put in rebel helmets on the soldiers and rebel guns and some X-wings in the background instead of fighter jets. And suddenly looked at this stuff and it was really engaging and everyone who came and looked around the building and we showed them things they'd get to these images and go oh my god wow I really want to see that film and and the studio loved it everybody loved it and they would say like just go make that and, and that's kind of what we went off and did but it was also like being in a war like we, you know the film crew became like the characters in a way it's sort of a cliche that the process of making a film becomes like the story you're telling and in this case we were all literally in the trenches together um, trying to achieve this impossible task. Like, the, the characters were trying to steal the Death Star fans, but as a group, we're trying to make a great Star Wars movie. And, and so you feel like you've been through a battle together, and there's like, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm speaking for myself here, but I feel like there's this connection you have now. Like, no matter what happens, Diego, if I see you like in 20 years, we're just going to have that 
like we've been through a war together, right? I don't know what you're talking about. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just, just had to be reminded every day I was getting paid. Yep. We're <laughs> <laughs> here. Hi, Hi Louis Lecco with Nuke the Fridge and the Nerd Report. Uh, thanks for having us here. Last year, I had a chance to ask J.J. Abrams what was the most important thing about the original trilogy that he brought into The Force Awakens. So now I'm going to ask the director, what was the most important thing from, from Lucas's original trilogy that you are bringing into Rogue One? And, by the way, the footage looks fantastic. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Um, the problem with Star Wars is that question takes about four hours. It's, it's, there's, there's not an individual thing. As long as you do this, you're Star Wars and you're golden. It's like you've got to do about a thousand different things and mix them all together and get the balance just right. It's like a really tricky thing to emulate what we love about the original but feel like we're telling a different story and it's fresh. Um, but for me, you know, there's like, we could have done like a very, you know, specific genre film and stuck Star Wars on it and said that's our movie. But George was always really good at mixing the genres together and, and, and creating this very emotional, uh, sort of mythological um, story that just happened to have robots and spaceships in it, no offense, Alan, but um, it's really got some, like, there's, there's meaning behind it, there's like meat on the bone, it took us a long time to try and crack that code and find, find all those different ingredients that we felt it needed to have, and, 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 and you go, okay, and now it works, and it, it's not something you just do in a week, and you go, okay, let's go make this, it's like a two and a half year process. Diego, over here. Hi. Hi. Could you just talk about, in finding this character, was it all on the script, or did you go back and look at other Star Wars films to sort of figure out where your kind of character fits into the hierarchy, or was it just all there for you once you, started, once you read the, the story? No, it... Hello? <coughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah. <laughs> yes? No. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Am I, oh, yeah, it's working. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, it was a mixture of everything, but... At the beginning, yes, I started just with the script that was already interesting enough for me to kind of uh, dig into myself and try to find this this uh, this captain inside me. And uh, I, I guess the most important part was to do the, the military training. You know, you have to establish a parallel to you know with this galaxy far, far away and the and the world you live in, and uh, and. It was very interesting to be... I spent two weeks with this ex-military in, in, in London uh, just talking about experiences and, and about the last 10 or 15 years of his life. And, uh, and that gave me enough material. And then, I mean, I love Star Wars and, uh, and I love the films and A New Hope is probably the first film I, 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 I really connected with. Uh, so I would go back to, to that film to find that connection again. Uh, but uh, it was more about seeing war films, you know, Apocalypse Now, for example, uh, stuff like that, because my character is, 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 needs that kind of military structure and, and is, is the, it's a guy that is willing to risk anything for this cause, you know, uh, but, but he, he thinks it in a hierarchical kind of a structure and, uh, and, and uh, he has to start there at least in this film. So, yeah, that was the research I did. Oh, there we go. Hi, guys. Uh, Lucas Eagle from comicbook.com. Um, Donnie, I have a question for you. Uh, I'm right up front here, Donnie. <laughs> I have a question for you, Donnie. Um, how much of the... Uh, obviously, the Force is very much derived from uh, Eastern philosophy. How much of your study of martial arts helped you develop your relationship with the Force as Chirrut Inway? Oh, that's, that's a good question, but I never thought about relating to the martial arts. You know, I always think of the force. We all have the force, it's just you don't realize it. It's kind of it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, I think it's interesting to see. Uh, to me, uh, Star Wars story is about reminding us that things that we neglect and forget. And the force is is all. We always have these kind of ability, and. Uh, to answer your questions, I, I don't think of it as having the martial arts ability, but just being a human being, you do have the force. Thank you. Uh, to your 
right, Christopher Gareth. And I'm waving there. Um, it's been revealed that George Lucas came to the set. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Can you go again? Sorry. Question for Gareth. It's been revealed that George Lucas came to the set of this. What, what's it like to have George on set? And does he, has he seen any footage yet? What, uh, does he have plans to see? <laughs> Can I, uh, I think he's okay. <laughs> um, so two days ago uh, we got to show George the movie and uh, we all had a phone call and I got to speak with him yesterday and I don't want to put words into his mouth <laughs> but um, I can honestly say that I can die happy now <laughs> he really liked the movie so it meant a lot to be honest and no offence to anyone here it was the most important review to me. Was sort of it? You know, you guys are important too. But come on, he's kind of God. When it comes to was that wildest phone call though? I mean, yeah, it was. We're in the middle of doing press, and and you know, you know, you have one interview, another interview, and then suddenly they said we need to take a break, and I was like, I'm okay. And it was like, no, we need to take a break, and then we go. They go, we need to talk to you. We're going to just go out of the room. And I was like, what's going on? Something bad's happened. And we go into a room. And they say. George wants to speak to you, and they made the call, and I was like, oh. and uh, yeah, and I will take that conversation to my grave. It was, it was a real privilege, and he, you know, his opinion means the world to me. So, and and John and Kathy have spoke to him, so it's yeah. All right, Oops. yes, everybody. Uh, so, obviously, one of the most exciting things about this film is seeing the diversity and representation. Uh, from these main characters. How important was that in crafting uh, the cast and characters of this film? And also, uh, you know, for future Star Wars movies, what would you like to see uh, from underrepresented groups in Star Wars future films? Alan? Alan, just incredibly important to Star Wars. I think it's um, more important to the film industry in, in general. I think, you know, having casts that represent and reflect the world today and having characters that people can relate to all over the world, this is very much a global industry. Uh, films mean something to people all over the world and it was certainly important to this story. It lent itself very, very well. These are a group of people who come together um, in ways that are kind of inexplicable, but they share a very common belief and they feel very strongly in their um, desire to do the right thing and they work together incredibly well and having that sense of diversity as people come together was really important to our story. Um, every movie has uh, reasons for why you cast certain people, but I think um, what we're doing today is just being much more mindful of that, and I think it's important. Hi, um, I'm Maggie Lyons from Amy Polish Smart Girls back here. Um, this is a question for Kathy, sort of a follow-up on the last question. Uh, in terms of women specifically and gender, so what do you think the future of women in Star Wars could mean for women in media and the world at large, and why is it important to you? Um, well, first of all, I, I hope it has that level of impact. <laughs> that would be great. Um, you know, I, I think it is really important. I, I, you know, I found it really interesting when I first stepped into this job and I started to look at, um, you know, what does it mean to be a female hero, a female her heroine? And when you started to look, certainly online, at imagery, it was pretty shocking what came up. And I think... The character of Ray, the character of Jin, I think these are empowered women that um, are not necessarily just taking on male characteristics. They're genuinely female heroines, and I think that's really important um, to the way we tell stories. And so I do hope you're right. I think it, it will make a difference. Thank you. I'm Dave from Edward Express, and uh, just to hear you about this. 
toys are a big thing, part of Star Wars. I wanted to know if the cast thought about their first action figure or toys. I have to say, I was, I, I was laughing to myself as these guys were all standing in the hall as we were waiting to come in here because they were all scrutinizing <laughs> <laughs> the toys that are lined up there. You guys so are Hot Wheels now. Yeah. They're Hot Wheels, yeah, that's the weirdest one. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I always felt sorry for those musicians or those writers that for Christmas give their own record, you know, as a gift. But I think this Christmas I'm going to be giving a lot of those toys. It's, it's so cool. And when, when I saw my kids playing with them, it was perfect. Like, it... It, it just made complete sense. My, my daughter, I, I gave her mine, and she was like, no, no, do you have jeans? And, <laughs> and she loves Felicity. And, uh, but it's a, it's a cool feeling. It's a cool feeling. And I don't know, probably in 20, 30 years, it's going to be really, really cool to open that drawer and find your toy, you know. I, I like Alan's because it doesn't have his face. <laughs> and it doesn't do the voice, so it's like he cannot really say it's his toy. He really say it's, his toy. It's, a, it's a selling point, for sure. <laughs> Mine is a lot bigger than yours, I should say. Uh, maybe that's what that's about. Uh, there's one that's like this tall, and I have it sitting on my couch. It's kind of chilling, chilling at home. K2 is just there. Uh, it's neat. And they don't just make one action figure of you. There's like five and a car. Uh, although, yeah, I don't have a car yet. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty exciting. Do you have action figures already? Yeah, Daddy, uh, is this your first one? Or? Uh, I, I, quite a few. <laughs> In your life, do they get like... Mine's young Donnie no, to like the biggest one I have is nine, nine foot tall. Oh. Bigger what? than you, baby. Wow. <laughs> you crush mine with your foot. Wow. <laughs> John, you have a figure. I, I don't. Actually. Oh, well. Oh, oh. You can take one of the K2SO ones. <laughs> we'll have to get that. We'll have to get that worked out. You can make it. Um, made a Philadelphia Daily News. Um, I have a two-part question. One's for Garth. I just want to say, from the footage I saw, tremendous accomplishment. Um, what um, was your challenge, you think, because the tone on this is so much different from other Star Wars films. It's more a war movie and ice movie, as they say. And how you have that different tone, so you get something different, but still feel like Star Wars was a challenge with that. And for Kathy, you know, you know follow-up like question a lot of people ask is, you know, one of the things that slightly annoys me when people bring up, oh, you have a female lead, it's as if we've never had a strong female character before. You know, from Betty Davis to Katniss Everdeen, there's been a lot of strong female characters. Which, you know, how do you feel about that? And how do you feel that, I just feel that, from what I've seen, she has an opportunity to be one of the most memorable characters, period, that we've seen. For a while, I couldn't see who was saying that. I was like, I know. Like, you hear my voice? It, it's sorry if we look weird up here, because these two lights are shining in our eyes, and so it's really hard to see you guys, so maybe if you like wave, wave at us or something. I, I thought it was Ben Kenobi again. <laughs> like, you, you did you hear, Yeah, you, you hear that sometimes, great. right? During the shoot, I would hear him yeah. and say, like, put down the camera. My question is... It was about tone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the tone was... I mean, we, we essentially got a license to be different on this movie and take a risk. You know, the great thing about being a standalone film, we don't really have to exist for other movies to continue, etc. And so uh, we could be brave, and that's what we did. And um, I feel like in terms of Star Wars, is the, you know, that I love uh, tonally, um, I guess the one we were, like, you know, aiming for was something like Empire Strikes Back. Um, where our movie, even though it's, we take it quite seriously. There's a lot of fun and humour in it, and and hope, you know, is the key thing. Is that it's it's about trying to achieve something. I mean, the the story really behind the movie is like all these different people from all these different backgrounds that have very little in common. Um, if they believe in a good, you know, future for the world, they come together and. And, and we all are better off when we, we work together than, than on our own. And, and so we just tried to make the most realistic version of Star Wars that we had seen and, and it involved a lot of different techniques, but 
Um, I can't even remember Kathy's question. You can remember it. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you're absolutely right. I I find that it is a bit irritating that when there's uh, progress being made and strong female characters being created, it tends to be forgotten. And I think that's because long periods of time go on in between. But I think it speaks to what um, what I was talking about before, which is these are big tentpole, um, sort of frankly male-driven, boy-driven kinds of entertainment in the past. And that's why I was saying that I think the idea of a female hero is what's new. I think that heroine concept is what's been lacking. And I think... Um, in this movie, the irony is she's not, as you say, necessarily just uh, a female hero. She's just a very strong, wonderful character in a movie. And to highlight that as being something specific to being a woman, I, I, I agree. I think that, that that's what I hope disappears over time, that we're not... Um, constantly highlighting this as though it's something unusual, but that it actually just becomes the vernacular of storytelling. Thank you. Okay, um, to your left, uh, this question is for Garrett. I know I can't see you, but I'll, I'll put my head here. So Move my big head out of the <laughs> There you go. There's obviously a huge anticipation for this movie, and rightly so. Uh, but for those you know who are not the diehard uh, sci-fi fans or or Star Wars fans at all, do you feel that they have to maybe revisit the whole Star Wars universe to appreciate this, or is this more of a standalone and we can come in? It's absolutely a standalone. I, I think the great thing is that. Um, this could be a real introduction to the whole franchise for many people who haven't necessarily followed it or uh, younger people who don't know that much about Star Wars and other parts of the world who don't know that much about Star Wars. So it really does stand on its own. Uh, I'm over. Yes. Over here. So uh, my name is Brian Young. I'm uh, asking about the footage last night, there seemed to be a moral complexity to the universe there, whether that's uh, Cassian doing things that maybe aren't the most uh, heroic. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, or, or even all the, the toy packaging for K2SO says that maybe he's trying to make up for something. I mean, he is an Imperial droid. I'm wondering if, if all of you could kind of speak to that moral gray area where Star Wars before always seemed to be very black and white about heroes and villains. Diego, you talked about that. Yeah, I think it's... And and, and it connects with... Hello? It's like censorship. I want to communicate to the world. There you go. I think it's a modern approach to Star Wars, and we live in a different world today. You know, if you revisit all the films... Uh, it's kind of like a stamp of what was going on and a reflection on the world back then, you know. And ours has to do the same. And we live in a diverse, a diversal world where racial and cultural diversity is, is in fact, uh, making us richer and more interesting. And uh, But it is a complex world we live in. And uh, making the right choice many times looks horrible, you know, uh, and, uh, and these, these people are, are in war, you know, when you, when you mention Cassian doing something not heroic, I would say no, Cassian is, it's a true hero, as Jean and everyone in this team, you know, it's just that they are the heroes we can be, just regular people doing amazing stuff, you know, and uh, no special powers, no Jedi, no, it's just conviction and, uh, and uh, teamwork. And, uh, and and yeah, that, that, that hope of, of actually being able to shape the reality uh, we live in. And that makes them great, you know? But yes, they have to make choices on the way, and war is horrible. I mean, no one wants war to happen. None of these characters would choose war, you know? But it's, it's, it's the, last, the last chance, you know? And uh, they have to do it. Um, before we take a break, I have a question for you, Alan. A lot of people... What? I that was a very good answer. I was very nervous. Of <laughs> uh, I'm Nailed glad it. you say it. Uh, Spot on. Thank you very yeah. much, Abel. 
Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you. Um, so a lot of people think that the K2 is, is strictly CG, but you were actually on set in like a mocap suit and yes. stilts and stuff. Yes. What's that performance like? What was it like being on set with everyone who was in character and you're kind of removed from it? Okay. I got this Diego. He's going to give his opinion of it. Diego was very funny about uh, certain aspects of my um, costume. Let's say um, I was wearing a you know full body, you know um, jumpsuit sort sort of thing, and um, it's such a new technology. Even still, uh, I'll, we've been introduced to it in a lot of different ways. Sometimes people wear cameras on their head. Sometimes there's dots all over their face. They have balls all over their suit. Uh, the way that ILM did it, I wore a suit that was very comfortable. It didn't have all of that uh, restriction on it. It was just had interesting designs on it, which cool. was, it was very cool looking. Oh, come on, dude. Come on. <laughs> it was like a luge uh, costume from like the Italian team. Like, <laughs> look cool. And it, it, yeah, I mean, it didn't have the colors, but still. Uh, and then I was on stilts, so I was seven foot one, so I towered over everyone uh, most of the time. And. Uh, <laughs> and it was great, you know, just even at that height, it's, it colors how uh, you move and um, it helped me get into character. It, it was it was fantastic. Uh, it was, it was it basic. It, it, was, it was basically just acting, but then the, the makeup and the costume came later. But because you're on set, you are able to create a character with the other actors. Without that, you can't tell a story with the true character who can react in the moment with some of the stuff Diego's throwing at you. You need to be able to just throw it right back. <laughs> and Alan, yes. I think you're shortchanging yourself a little bit too because you stepped into amazing iconography with robots in Star Wars. And, you know, when you figure that C-3PO and R2-D2 and now BB-8, what was amazing about what Alan <laughs> did is he had to find what that individual sense was so that he could create uh, a, another robot in the family of robots in Star Wars, and I think he definitely did that. He's going to be very memorable. I think, I think John Nolan testified to this, is that there's a feeling, you can't help it because it's CGI, there's a feeling on set which is, you know, if we change our minds, you want to change the performance a little bit, it's in the computer. Maybe we, we can worry about that later. You kept saying that. And we, <laughs> no, we, and we shot the whole thing as if, as if K2 was... Whatever Alan did on set, whatever it was, was exactly what K2 was going to do in the final film. And so, you know, K2 would get... You know, when Alan, no offence, but would screw up a few times. And we'd do multiple, multiple takes. Even though you're thinking, oh, can't you just animate this stuff? And you can't. And what we learned was on the very few occasions, there were times where we wanted to tweak something. We'd go, you know what, just... Just maybe do something a little bit different to what Alan did, and every single time it didn't work. And and we had to be true to Alan's performance all the time. And even when we wanted to tweak something, we got Alan back, and we re-recorded him on on film, and copied his performance because he is K2. And a lot of the humour that's in the film, that's really funny, is just this guy improvising. Um, he was given freedom to do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted. And there are shots we couldn't use because I sometimes I was holding the camera and I'm laughing. And the camera's rocking up and down, and it, there's stuff we can't even talk about, but it was hilarious. I'll be on behind the scenes back there. Yeah. I, 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 I can tell you the truth now. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's completely right. Like, when they go, like, you're going to do a science fiction film, and, uh, or you're going to yeah, work with droids, you have the feeling you're just going to have to imagine everything. And here... We were interacting with a with a with an actor and making choices on the way. So after the first month, because the first month we just couldn't look at him because he did look ridiculous with his outfit. It was the tightest pajamas ever, and because he had these skills, you were always the height of his balls. You know? I mean, that, that to say, Alan, it was quite intimidating. <laughs> And then, then he's, yeah, well, he's really tall, right? Uh, so, so he was there, but then when he had to run, there was a version uh, uh, of him that it was just a backpack. 
the backpack of shame. <laughs> without the stilts, with a with a uh, like the the face of K2 on the top, but it just looked so cheesy, like so badly done, like like suddenly they went for the Mexican version. <laughs> <laughs> A quick break. Okay. Um, we'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll, we'll take a quick break and then um, we'll be back up here with another group of students. So hang tight. Thank you. Thank you guys. So that was a lot of fun, and that they they got into some of those same themes we were talking about uh, on the episode about politics a couple weeks ago. They did. They 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 touched on uh, a lot of the issues that have, have concerned us. To, to a greater degree than they have up until now. Uh, I think you, you're getting this sense uh, at, at Lucasfilm and among the actors that they're, they're just bursting to say something about this, and it is a giant elephant in the room. You know, the, the political situation of today is obviously heavy on everyone's minds. Uh, yeah, and, and it's sort of being couched in this discussion of diversity, which um, used to not be a controversial thing to talk about, but, but now apparently is. Um, but yeah, Diego got very um, emotional in, in that press conference. You can definitely hear it in his voice, and um, you can probably hear the the area where he said that he was concerned that you know he wasn't making any sense, and he was was worried about saying all of this. So there's, there's definitely a, um, an atmosphere of uh, you know people don't want to say the wrong thing, they don't want to offend the wrong people, but they they also want to speak out. It was interesting too. Like, uh, I mean, just I had a hard time tracking what he was saying right there in the moment. I got to go back and re-listen to it because he was staring right at me. Because <laughs> I asked the question, he he did not break eye contact the whole time. Yeah, but we we should also point out that they and and Donnie had told me this that the, the lights was shining their eyes so bright they could barely see us. Yeah. So even though we were sitting there sort of trying to encourage them and smile at them, they they basically were just staring into a Ben Kenobi style white haze so part two uh brings back gareth and kathleen and then brings us uh alan tudyk ben mendelson mads mickelson and felicity jones and uh so so here is that <laughs> Guys, thanks for joining us. Um, so, I think we'll just start with the audience this time. Um, yes, who has the mic? Anybody? I see a hand. Okay, perfect. Hi, uh, Neela from Australia. Felicity, I was wondering, there's a scene in the film where Cassian just has to stand back and watch Jin kick a stormtrooper butt, which I thought was fantastic. I wonder how you feel seeing yourself do that and if the process of finding Jim for you was about maybe finding your inner warrior that you didn't know you had. Yeah, well, it's in Jim's head, it's very clear she hates the Empire. So, um, so anytime she sees these stormtroopers, she has this kind of um, yeah, very clear instinct to take them down. So, uh, so I just tapped into that, into that energy that Jim has, and. It was, I'd never done that kind of thing before. Um, it was very new, the whole kind of physical preparation, that side um, side of acting. I'm kind of used to lots of, you know, talking in corsets. So it was really nice to be running around with, um, with a, a blaster and, and a, a baton to uh, bash stormtroopers with. But it was, yeah, it was an extraordinary process. And you work very closely with the, the stunt team who take you through every kind of move and moment and, um, and, and, and support you throughout the whole thing and, and I was very lucky to have a, a great support and fun team going. Next. Hi guys. Hi, I'm over here. Oh. Uh, on your oh, there you right. go. Wait. In the hat. <laughs> Hi. Um, the movie looks fantastic, guys. Uh, really excited for it. Um, I have kind of a technical question for Gareth and I guess Kathleen. Um, what? Oh, there you are. In the hat. Oh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what format was Rogue One shot on, and why have you guys chosen the specific formats that you're shooting uh, for the new Star Wars movie? Um, well, when you, I mean, we had the difficult task of we were kind of making a period piece as well. We're making a film that sort of would say to the crew and the designers, like, imagine this 
is set in 1977 and don't do anything we couldn't have done back then in terms of aesthetic. And that applied to the camera work in, to some extent in that um, obviously in today's cinema, you know, we've got these 4K projections and things going on in IMAX and, and this brand new camera had come out from ARRI and um, it was incredible and it's like four times the resolution of normal uh, film cameras. Um, but Greg, the DOP, was like, okay, this is fantastic, but we also want to go back to the 70s with the analog kind of look of the movie. And so he got hold of this Panavision lens that's from uh, 70mm Anamorpha. They shot Ben-Hur with this actual lens. And for the first time ever in cinema, uh, Ari and Panavision, which are two separate companies in the film industry, they came together to make one camera for Star Wars. And it was incredible. And the, for those who are technically minded, what the result is, you get this very narrow depth of field, so if you're focused on me, the background's quite blurred and the foreground's quite blurred, and it was a nightmare for the focus puller. Um, there was this young guy called Jake, and he performed a miracle, because we were like, there was battle scenes, we didn't put marks down, we were just running in there with the camera, and he was always getting the focus. We didn't drop any shot out of the movie because it was, because it was out of focus, and, and I think a lot of the beauty in the film is down to the, the cameras that we used, so it had that look of like, it's like a modern version of the past, you know, is kind of what we're going for, which is kind of what Rogue One is trying to achieve. Thank you. Yeah, and I would just say that I think what's really great about the fact that we're now moving into these standalone movies is that we're bringing in um, essentially auteur directors like Gareth, and we're really supporting those uh, directors and their vision, and we're looking at each of these movies without a rule book. We're basically saying, okay, here's a new story, a new movie, a new approach. What do we want to do? And we're very open to that. And um, I think it very much is in the spirit of what uh, George Lucas did to begin with. I mean, he inspired ILM innovation, and technological innovation was extremely important to him. And it's very much a part of the culture of this company, so that's what we, we want to continue. Thank you. Hey, folks, uh, to your left. Um, Jim Bevita with IGN. Uh, my question is for Kathleen. Uh, this film introduces into live action Saw Gerrera. Are there plans to introduce other characters from animated Star Wars shows into live action feature films? You know, that isn't really the, the approach that we have. We don't sit down and start isolating a list of characters and then build stories around those. We really are starting with the stories themselves, and then if some of those characters might come in to um, what it is we want to do or say, uh, we'll consider it then, but that, that's not part of the strategy, no. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Hey, over here. Um, hi, Aaron Whitney with Screen Crush. This question is for Kathleen. Um, the Star Wars films have done a lot for female characters and female heroes, but the movies have yet to have a female director. And you recently said that a woman who has no experience with blockbusters wouldn't be suitable for a, a Star Wars movie. Um, however, multiple male directors have had that opportunity. So I'm curious, why is it different for women? And That's not true. So this gentleman did Godzilla before we hired him to direct the movie. And that quote was taken out of context. And I, as you can imagine, have every intention of giving somebody an opportunity. So if somebody actually moves through the process of making movies and wants to make a Star Wars movie and shows that they have uh, actually stepped into the role on that level, of course we're going to consider a woman. That goes without saying. Could you name any female directors that you think have potential? I think there's one? many. <laughs> And I've talked to most of them. <laughs> so <laughs> there are many out there. So. Thank you. Dan Brooks, StarWars.com. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Darren, can you talk a little bit more about the challenge of making sure that the movie seeks up visually with a new hope, which was made 40 years ago? Yeah, I mean, it's all subconscious to some extent. We've watched Star Wars to death. like. Uh, you guys, I think, have seen the opening of the film, most of you, <coughs> not all of you. And um, it's kind of a reflection of Star Wars and New Hope to some extent. And this is really a segue so I can get these guys in, because in we went to Iceland to film the opening scene, and uh, 
it didn't occur to me until later that when you think about New Hope, you know, the very first time you see the antagonist come in, Darth Vader, it's a black guy in a black cape, surrounded by white stormtroopers. And at the opening of our film, there's, there's a guy in a white cape, surrounded by black stormtroopers. And it's all these subconscious things where we're trying to take what's familiar, but sort of invert it or twist it. And filming that scene uh, with Ben and Mads, I, 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 it, was, it was one of the hardest things we've ever filmed. And people say, what's the hardest scene you ever did? I think it was probably that one, because we were freezing our kicks off out there. <laughs> it was, it was, and, and the worst thing was, is fog was coming in, and then it suddenly disappeared. So we'd set up these amazing shots, and we'd be really excited, and then suddenly there'd be a whiteout, and you couldn't see like three meters ahead of you. You'd have to wait, and then suddenly it would clear. And, and these are like two of the most incredible actors in the world. And it was just so good to just sit, put them up against each other and go and let it let it unfold. And Ben, Ben is so relaxed in front of the camera that he would start like just messing around. Like, he's very playful. And I thought he was reciting Shakespeare or something like to get himself into character. And then I would listen carefully to the lyrics and realize he was singing Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. <laughs> And even like Frozen, I think there was like times where. Oh, yeah, I did sing a bit of Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? We we used to be friends or whatever. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did, we used to be friends. So I can't. It's escaping me now. But yes, I remember it vividly. <laughs> Very intimidating, I'm sure. Uh, next question. Uh, over here, oh, it's uh, here Eric Eisenberg from Cinnabon. Over here on your left. Anything? Oh, hey. <laughs> uh, so my question is for Miss Kennedy. Um, as we've talked about today, one thing that separates this film is that uh, it's very much a war movie. While most of the Star Wars films that we've seen have kind of been mostly space opera, this has a very different feel. And moving forward with these Star Wars stories, I am curious if part of the motivation behind them is to experiment a new genre as a means of keeping Star Wars as a franchise continually fresh for years to come. Yeah, actually the interesting thing is that that was inspired by George because um, he, as Gareth has said in the past, um, he, he very much mixed genres and loved movies and drew from those uh, examples at, at when he created Star Wars to begin with. And even when George did New Hope, he was actually cutting in planes from World War II as a way to, to, to set up the dogfights, if you will. So that very much continues to inspire what we're doing, and it keeps the variety. Um, yes, let's see. Michael Adato from the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia. A question for Gareth and also for Ben. The, the big cameo here, obviously, or the big kind of guest appearance is Darth Vader. Can you talk a little bit about working with that costume, how powerful that image is in cinema, and when you are actually actors on a working film set, what happens in the tipping point between dealing with an actor in a costume and the fact that that actor in that costume is, is a very powerful personal cinematic image that is present in front of you? Okay. <laughs> um, so... Um uh, the first, the first thing you, you you have to do is just get over the fact that you're doing a scene with um, Darth Vader, and that that takes um, yeah that that took me a little while um, because I am uh, you know I'm a first generation fanboy, um, <laughs> so I was. Um, yeah, it, it it took a little while to feel like um, uh, like I could answer him with some solidity, like we could have a um, a discussion, as it were. Um, that that took a little while, and also, um, Darth is his his gestures and his mannerisms are so familiar that. Um, Finding uh, someone that can uh, can execute that in a way that is fluid um, is its own skill set, and um, so that that requires a certain amount of um, of thought and consideration to when you're doing it. But you know, there was, there was a time, uh, <laughs> Ben. I you know you, you all know Ben's work. He's he's. He's got this ability to be, if he wants to, to be incredibly intimidating. And um, 
And in, in the entire process of making the film, it was a kid in a candy store. We had an amazing time. And I kept thinking, I wonder if there'll ever be this moment where I'll see like some of the characters he's played or something pop out. And there was, we were in the middle of filming the scene with, with Darth, and Ben was like, Gareth, I need to talk to you. And I was like, what's the matter? And he goes, I need to go in the corner and talk to you. I need to have a word. And it was like, oh, shit, here we go, what's the matter? Uh-huh. And we go over, and I'm like, are you all right, Ben? He's like, nah. And it's like, what's the matter? And he goes, it's Darth fucking Vader. <laughs> and it was like, I know. <laughs> and we both had this little moment where we melted, and we could just admit it, and then we turned around really professionally, like, okay, we'll try and fix that. And we walked back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would geek out too. I mean, it's probably still pretty difficult to, to pull a scene with Darth Vader and like, not turn into a child again. And, and, and you can tell when he's coming on set because we, we learned a little bit that we should do the rehearsals and talk through the scene without the costume. Because as soon as that helmet goes on, it's too intimidating. You can't give direction to Darth Vader. Like, <laughs> you know, he tells you what he's going to do. And so, so, but then what happens is, that, you know, film sets are really noisy. There's a lot of, you know, banging and clattering going on. And suddenly it just starts to get quiet. And you're chatting to someone and why has it gone so quiet? And in comes Darth Vader and he stands on. And the whole crew is just like a five-year-old going <laughs> like this. And we all, it ha- happens to everybody. And then you think, oh, shit, I've got to go over and speak to him. And you have to snap out of it. It's um, it's it is it's probably one of the highlights of getting to do this film was little moments of that. And you're very aware of it. Everyone there is very aware of it. And you become the most popular person in the world the day you're filming those scenes because they you look round and there's everyone turns up. Yeah, <laughs> everyone turns up to when Darth is there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question. Yes. Hi, Nye McGee with EUR Web. My question is for Gareth or Kathy. Um, this franchise, or this film specifically, at its core, um, tends to explore like popular conceptions of like government, military, you know, police, unity, um, and these are certainly topics that you know are, provide like valuable insights to students of film and people who are fond of American politics. So my question is, do you think that science fiction has an advantage to like explore these things and allow these things to be easily digestible to the audience without them feeling preached to? Um. Wow. <laughs> um. I guess another way of also asking it, you know, obviously these films are entertainment. But I was just going to say, I, th- I think you're asking a question it's a broader question inside the world of entertainment and certainly a form of escapism as a way to um, simplify complicated ideas. I think it's one of the things that's made Star Wars strong is that those simple ideas have had good and evil very clearly drawn. Um, and, And this movie is a bit more sophisticated and complicated and does reflect... I think a more complicated worldview today. So, um, yes, to some extent, this story might illuminate some of those things in a way that um, may start a discussion, which is great. What's the overall message of the film? It's just unity, teamwork, and belief. Thank you. Thank you. Fishtailing off of that. Um, Nads, your character Galen is is kind of a complicated character because he's not. He does. He does. You know, he's involved with bad things, but he's not necessarily a villain. What kind of, what kind of approach do you have to like a character with that sort of complexity? No, but he's yeah. He's. Uh, I mean, I think that as actors, we always try to find like uh, the two sides of a character. But definitely, it's in this one because uh, he's working together with this gentleman in something that he believes from the very beginning has a project that has the ability to change the world into a better place. And so be it that it, uh, it turns out that he's working on something that he didn't know, uh, and, and for that reason he's in a gigantic dilemma. And for the reasons I will not spoil here, the dilemma gets even bigger. Uh, so yes, that's a gray zone here. Mm-hmm. As you said, it used to be maybe in the 70s and the 80s, a little more black and white, but there are a lot of grays here. <laughs> Behind you again. David Fern from Endor Express. I asked the cast earlier about their thoughts on their first action figures. I know Mads doesn't have one yet, but hopefully soon. (laughs) And uh, so I I wanted to hear the cast on their thoughts of getting finally themselves in classic form. And if Gareth could talk about the score 
Or am I equal to a cumulative at all? Okay. We'll start with the action figures because that's always fun. Where's he going, right? <laughs> Chris um, has a few. I did get an action figure. I was very pleased because I think he's a lot better looking than I am. <laughs> they accidentally modeled it on Diego or something. <laughs> <laughs> Easily confused. Um, uh, yeah, it was a kind of surreal, amazing um, moment, to be honest. I remember kind of playing with those toys as a kid and so to be part of that universe, you know, in, in plastic is, uh, is an amazing thing. Christmas shopping is easy. Yeah, right. <laughs> Slightly narcissistic, but yeah. Giving everyone little versions. Yeah, like, why, are you giving me, why are you giving me Diego? I thought you wanted to be a Yeah, Michael uh, uh, did an amazing score for us. He's, um, he's a massive, 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 massive Star Wars fan. I think a lot of us compete for who's the biggest Star Wars fan working on the film. And I go around his house, and you walk in the door, and and in his main front room is, I don't know how big, but it feels like it's that big, but it's like 13 foot tall framed poster of A New Hope. And sort of joke like, oh, you didn't have to do that for us. And he's like, no, this has been up for like 13 years. Um, and he said, he listened to Empire Strikes Back soundtrack to death as a kid. And it's just, I think the vocabulary of that music is in him and, and it just poured out and there's stuff I mean, you know, there, there's particular moments in the film, musically, um, especially towards the end, that is truly stunning and, and, and very emotional. And I think he just knocked it out of the park. We were very lucky. I think that's all we have time for today. Um, so thank you guys all again for joining us. Thank you guys thank for you. coming up here. Obviously, you can tell that one was a little shorter. Yes. And, and Felicity barely had any, any time to say anything. Uh, we should mention, if since we're continuing to talk about the fashions of the Rogue One stars, that, that she was in a, a, a wonderful white dress. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, it felt like a lot of people got dressed up in their Sunday best, which is appropriate. This is a. Uh, it is uh, Sunday. It is Sunday. We are here at Lucasfilm on a Sunday, which is odd for a film junket. But um, but yeah, here we are, and uh, they they look fabulous up there, and they they seem to be having a pretty good time. There's a lot of good chemistry. Uh, between the cast, I think that that comes out in their discussion, certainly with Alan, uh, and that that wonderful moment where Diego was talking about how where his eye level was <laughs> on, on yeah. his body with his stilts. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's not something I'll forget in a hurry. But yeah, they they obviously they were their experience was forged in the fires of war, and uh, you know they are they are they're a tight crew. It makes me very, very excited for this movie. I think that's... I mean, I guess that was the point of this whole weekend, mm. right? Was to was to make us all excited and to pass on that excitement. And I think mission accomplished. Yes. I mean, the movie could still... There could still be problems with the movie. I don't know, but... And it was not without controversy. I mean, we should mention the, the Kathleen Kennedy answer about um, female directors. Yeah. And it was... You know, she she obviously has felt that she'd been taken out of context there. Um, but I would, I, I did. I, this is something I did want to say that there have been directors of Star Wars movies that haven't been responsible for blockbusters, specifically Irving Kirshner and Richard Marquand. But the caveat there would be that they had George Lucas actually guiding them through all the blockbuster elements, and they were simply directing actors, right? Or you know, breathing down their neck in Marquand's case. Um, and, and Kirshner had years of experience, and uh, but yeah, you know, it is obviously it's a, a thing that can make executives um, in all film companies very nervous uh, if you haven't directed a blockbuster and suddenly you're handed the keys to a three hundred million dollar film. Um, so you could tell Kathleen Kennedy is, is concerned. She wants to get more female directors in. She says she's spoken to all of them. Was was her quote? Um, and you know we we can just hope and wait and you know wait for the first uh, spin-off movie to be directed by a woman I think that day is coming um, so we've got to get back in uh, you've got some more interviews to do and uh, I'm gonna do some more some more hanging out and then uh, you know just enjoy the town because it's a great place yeah it's a great place beautiful day is the perfect location for a for a Star Wars junket so Thanks for sitting here and talking to me about all this stuff and and uh, recording with me, you know, while you've got uh, the pressure of doing some more interviews. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I've only got to talk to, you know, the, the soon-to-be most famous actors in the world. It's, it's, all, it's all in a day's work.
Yeah, well, it's weird. They keep walking by. We saw as we were coming out to record. Ben Mendelsohn was just in the Skywalker or the Lucasfilm gift shop, just yeah. buying gifts. And we, and we had to walk past the Holy Grail to get here. We did, and the Cross of Coronado. <laughs> and you can barely see the Grail. It's so it's so appropriate. Yeah, it's behind the glass with all these golden uh, statuettes. That's something we should we should talk about too. Uh, another time, you know, uh, I've been able to take another tour of the building, and it was mm. it's great. There's lots of really cool artifacts. Maybe I've got to figure out uh, exactly what it was I saw based on my pictures, and we can we can talk about it some other time. Indeed. But. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad, glad to have you here in, in town and um, looking forward to the premiere. Yeah, yeah, the premiere is going to be great. Uh, so, without further ado, that that's the end of that. Uh, you know where to find us and where to review us and all that stuff. Uh, so, uh, for Chris Taylor and I'm Brian Young, the Force will be with you, always. If you're not be meeting me, I'll close down for a while. Mm.